Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading through the entire Bible together, out loud, one chapter at a time, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 8 today. So we are now um, at the halfway point. And yeah, I was like, I was already like ready to go on 1 Corinthians 8 last time, because I mean, the, the chapter really just flows very naturally from the previous chapter in chapter 7. Um, you get into this transition from the kind of sexual immorality and marriage stuff to now we're really kind of focusing in specifically on idols. And so the question really is still, you know, what do you do with this this found newfound freedom as a Christian, right? Or as Paul puts it in chapter 7, you know, for all our freed men in the Lord. You know, so what, what, what can you do in Christian freedom? Uh, what should you not do? How should you voluntarily give up your freedom? Now that uh, is as timely as ever. So we'll be discussing that and some other questions with our guest today. We've got Pastor Lane Berglund. He's pastor at Faith Lutheran Church from the proud Hoosier city of Cherubusco, not to be confused with their sister city in Mexico, Churubusco, which uh, of course means I am really hungry and I've been at Costco for far too long. Good morning, brother. How are you doing? Hey, good morning, and I'm glad you knew something about the Cherubusco, Mexico. Uh, Both (laughs) of the Cherubusco towns in the United States, the one in New York and here in Indiana, are named after that town where a battle was fought between the 5th New York and uh, Mexican Forks was in 1847 in the war between Mexico and the United States. And so these two towns have this this name that no one can pronounce, and so we just call our town Turtle Town. <laughs> there, there you go. Yeah, no, I, I actually just learned something just now. I did not know that it was actually related to... Uh, I mean, I saw it, and I was like, that kind of looks vaguely like Spanish, but if, if it was vaguely Spanish, it would mean something like I'm looking for a churro, and I imagined that it probably didn't mean that. Well, it might not have, but a churro is always a great idea. Let's not just mean <laughs> the churros in the world here, especially for those yeah. that haven't eaten lunch yet, you know. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Excellent. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing fine, brother. I don't have a churro, but, I mean, I'm doing okay. How's it going over there? <laughs> You know, it's always an interesting adventure with the Lord. There is hardly ever a dull day. And in in the morning you get up and you think, well, Lord, I've asked you to take over my agenda for the day and the agenda that, that I would have thought for my life, you take that over. And then right away he pulls the plug on whatever you thought you were going to do and says, hey, redirecting, go this direction. And so you're off and running and just trying to catch up best you can. But, you know, he's got things timed out, so just don't stress out. You'll be fine. So that's the idea of the Lord having actual ownership and lordship over your daily plans, and it's it's always an adventure. That's a really cool perspective. I mean, I, I think that we as a culture, we're, we're so fixed on the idea of goal setting, right? Like, you know, yeah, and which is not a bad are. thing, right? But But... We're so fixed on it, like, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to accomplish. This is my five-year plan. This is where I see us, right? And we're so we're so fixed on, like, what do I want to accomplish, and how will God—how can I kind of bring God on as, like, a, a sidekick or a consultant to make it happen? But, but yeah, I mean, like, that's that's not how it goes. If you're just a steward or a servant, it, it's—you uh, wake up and you ask for your marching orders. Yeah, it's kind of grounded in the idea that we're all of us— not nearly as smart as we think we are. 
I mean, really, (laughs) distantly not nearly as smart as we think we are. And we don't see the world. We don't see it from God's perspective. We don't see the time continuum because we're locked into the little moment by moment by moment. And then add to that, we have this uh, deeply corrupted thing we call a mind. And then um, mix it all together and you say, you know, we just don't have much of a clue about what the right thing to do, when to do, and how to do it is. So really, the only rational course, you know Jesus loves us. All authority in heaven and earth is given to him. And uh, give it over to him. He, he knows what he's doing. He's building his church. He's got the plan. He has a place for us. And, um, you know, just relax and be willing to set your own schedule aside. Probably the place that pops up most commonly is you're in a rush, you have something you got to do, and you run into somebody that really needs to talk to you. Yeah. What do you do? You know, kind of like that movie Speed with Gunnar Reeves. What do you do? Well, how about you stop, set aside your own agenda, listen, and yeah. talk with that person. It's not its not going to kill yeah. us, and we think, oh, well, yeah. we can't get my X, Y, or Z done. Well, maybe not. Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. Yeah. Well, no. Yeah. And then, um, and then, of course, I'm really glad that you didn't say uh, shoot the hostage. Uh, going back you know to the what? Every <laughs> once in a while, <laughs> uh, shoot the breeze, maybe. <laughs> oh, nicely done. Nicely done. Uh, yeah. You know, that's uh, that's. I could go off on a whole tangent about that, but yeah, I know that that I think is a really just very practical example of of how that works out in action, but. Uh, I think we're going to have a few practical examples on our hands in this chapter here, but before we turn yeah, to the text... Yeah, there's kind of a other... neat segue there, too, you know, about other people matter. It's not all about me. Yep, yep. Which is kind of right at the heart of what we're going to be talking about. Exactly, exactly. Well, before we get too much further uh, ahead of ourselves, Brother, would you open this up with a prayer? It would be such an honor. Gracious and Heavenly Father, you know us through and through. And you've been so kind and merciful to call us to faith and to bring us to the Lord Jesus as our Savior and to breathe into us by the gift of your Spirit a life, a birth from above, that we might know you and serve you. Grant the great grace of your Spirit now as we spend time in your Word. Open our eyes, open our hearts, so that you could pour into our hearts your Word and your wisdom. Bless those in the studio, bless those listening in that we might hear your voice, dear Good Shepherd, that we might hear you speak to us. So in Jesus' name, thank you. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, so you are, yes, uh, making another very elegant segue here, just doing my job for me to, to Chapter 8, that, yeah, it's, it's not all about ourselves. Uh, I mean, and of course, I think this is, this is uh, in many ways, what he's been getting at, this whole book, this whole letter focusing on the problem of disunity and division, and and the antidote is yeah, humility, that acknowledgement of we're not nearly as smart as we think we are, which, um, yeah, I think is actually a pretty decent paraphrase to actually a lot of what Paul says. Uh, in one of the earlier chapters, you know, Paul says, you know, I don't even— I don't even judge myself because even though I don't think I've done anything wrong, this, that doesn't mean I'm innocent, right? I mean, like he just—he's constantly acknowledging that, you know, it, it's not really even about what I think or about how we evaluate things. I mean, just why—why why would we assume that we are the ultimate authority on any of this stuff? Uh, it's the yeah, Lord, it's, and so yeah. Go ahead. It's utter folly. I really don't uh, have the whatever it takes. I say wisdom or context um, of experience to judge myself, much less anybody else, 
but it's a terrible human failing. We do an awful lot of that. And, you know, uh, you, you take a look at what Paul says. And in these chapters, really, two things, if I may say. He takes these um, topics sort of in chunks. Eight, nine, and ten are all a chunk. They kind of yeah. deal with the same thing. And then you get to 11, 12, 13, 14. They're kind of another chunk. And you kind of, at the end of 14, come back to what you started out with in 11. Just like in the end of chapter 10, you come back to this topic that you started out in chapter 8. But you make it kind of frustrating. You've you got to kind of take the whole thing uh, at once without, which our, our listeners probably will get it in three songs. But, uh, but otherwise, it's easy to get messed up. Um, the other thing to say is that we're kind of listening in on telephone conversation. You, you look at Romans, and Paul had time to write it all out. It's very smooth, very organized, uh, just a, a, a neat, well-done piece and easy to read through. Um, you get into Corinthians, and it's obviously responding to stuff, conversations, letters. And so it's like listening to somebody on the telephone. You're hearing one half the conversation, and you're trying to sort of reconstruct best you can the other half. And it right. makes it kind of challenging, and we'll run into that kind of right off the bat with meat offered to idols. What on earth are we talking about? Because yeah. there's a couple yeah. of options. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. And we, we saw that last time too. How, yeah, like that's a really good way of putting it. You're just hearing one side of a telephone conversation. You're just kind of guessing what they're responding to. And yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, definitely uh, some of that. Uh, thankfully, this is a shorter chapter. So I think we'll be able to uh, kind of have a little bit more time to piece some of those things together. And, and also, uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's fair seeing it as a, as a chunk with the chapters that follow. But there's some there's some good connections to the previous that we'll want to check out as well. So kind of with all those things in mind, we'll just kind of put our our uh, inner dialogue on pause for a second and just listen to the text speak for itself here. So here we are, First Corinthians chapter eight in the English Standard Version. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he doesn't yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there's no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, Sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, 
I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And with that, Paul became a vegetarian. Well, uh, let's go. Let's go vegan. Yeah, that's right. No cruelty, GMO, gluten-free, <laughs> absolutely vegan. That's right. You know, it's just we, we thought we were so, you know, enlightened and modern for all that. But, but there he is doing that 2,000 years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, it really is. I, I just, I, I, I love this chapter. Um, it, it is just one of my favorite chapters um, in the Bible generally, but really in, in 1 Corinthians, just how he just lays it out there and just says, yeah, you know, you, you, you know better, and yeah, you, you, you understand the deeper theology behind this, and, and you get all this, right? And, and he just kind of lays it out, but he says, you know what? But that really doesn't matter in the final analysis, because what matters is, how can I love my brother? And at the end yeah. of the day, my rights and my my so-called freedom and all this stuff it just doesn't matter it's totally secondary to how can i love these brothers and sisters that god has put in my midst and so that's the thing that matters most and so if that's really what it takes then i'm vegetarian done like it just the, the selflessness of paul right and just how it just subordinates any any sense of like freedom and rights i mean it's just i feel like that's such a healthy antidote to what we so commonly get so caught up with in western culture it is of course you know you can you can uh put this uh up against the two great commandments of love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength which he pretty much starts out with you know love god known by god you know but also love your neighbors yourself where the other person matters and really, it could be summarized in, in the statement. I think probably most of the people listening in have heard this. With great power comes great responsibility. It's popular currently because of the Spider-Man, because Uncle Ben said that to Peter Parker right. after this power. But it goes back to Voltaire, an 18th century philosopher. With great power comes great responsibility. And in this case, we might modify it with great knowledge comes great responsibility because yeah. the driving force is to know God and to know God is love and cares for us and does so much for us needs to move us to uh, uh, look to the needs and welfare of other people. So in that particular case, love your neighbor as yourself is going to be a serious consideration for how we conduct our lives. And I, and I tell you, there's nothing more contemporary than this. Uh, and, and it's just, you know, to be concerned, first of all, with Christian brothers and sisters, they may be immature in the faith. And I think it's worth saying that we're not okay if they just stay immature in their faith for the rest of their lives. We would like to see them grow and grow in knowledge and grow to the point that they get beyond this weak state. And that's article I read years ago on this very chapter talked about the assumption that these people that are having this trouble, that are weak brothers and sisters, will grow. They won't just mm. stay in this, this infant stage or this toddler stage. They will grow and they'll get over it. So you're not like locked in forever to very bizarre behaviors because one person somewhere just can't get over the toddler stage of faith. That They're going to need to grow. The other mm. part of this is how do we come off to outsiders. That is to yeah. say, and that's going to be a concern throughout here, 
And I right. think as pastors, my goodness gracious, I think of all the conferences and I think of all the conventions, and I just wonder what the people that work of those conferences and work those conventions yeah. think of us as they watch us with all of our special clothes and, and sometimes with very um, high opinions of ourselves. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, cavort about and behave in rude ways and demand extra service and are cheap tippers. It's a complaint that every waiter and waitress has against the church crowd on Sunday morning. They're mean, they're hostile, and they tip cheap. That's a great witness that we give to the people out there, right? Oh, yeah. They, yeah. Um, so, you know, the the whole context Initially, if meat offered to idols, you say, well, it doesn't really have much to do with us today. But wow, uh, the thought that lies behind it about with great knowledge comes great responsibility towards the weaker brother and towards the outsider is very appropriate for us every day. Yeah. Well, and and Paul's really going to pick up on that that question of, so how do we come off to outsiders, especially like in chapter 14, uh, coming up when he's going to deal with that even more explicitly. But, but I mean, like what I think you're getting at is how maybe this is like surprising to, uh, to many of us that it seems like to Paul, what he's saying in some ways is that appearances matter, that the optics matter, right? Which is, you know, I, I think what kind of, I think that goes against a lot of senses of contemporary spirituality, because we say like, well, it doesn't really matter like what the outside appearances of things. What matters is like the inside and, you know, what, what we in, what our intentions are and what our, mo- our, our motivations behind it are. Right. And so someone says, see, so it's not the outward thing. It's just it's what's what's the motivation, what the person have in their heart. And so you can't tell what's in the person's heart. So no. you can't you can't judge them. And so that that's, you know, where we where we want to go. But Paul's saying here now, no, actually, hang on a second. It does matter how things appear and you should actually voluntarily restrict yourself based on how people might misunderstand what you're doing which i i think that just that suggestion if there weren't a bible passage that said as much (laughs) would probably drive most people in our parishes crazy like what i i have to change what i'm doing because people misunderstand and misinterpret my actions no, that's not right. But I mean, like it's, it's, I think I think we chafe against it. Well, we do, we do, because that's this entitlement thing. That, and of course, in our culture, it seems to be um, an inflamed entitlement, if I can use that image. That is to say, that all human beings think we're the center of the universe, and we should be able to do whatever we want to do. Yeah. Now, you, you sort of expand that, and look at the kind of behavior you see all the time. I don't have to stop at a stop sign. I don't want to. I don't need to. I'm not going to. Or a stoplight or the speed limit or any other rules. I'm entitled. And what do we hear from television, from advertising? Oh, I deserve this. I am entitled to it. I should get this free because I'm just that special. And this is kind of drummed into us, and it just, it, it just sort of it's like rubbing a raw nerve. It just inflames this yeah. terrible <clears throat> original sin component. And therefore, when we start talking about whether or not to modify our behavior for the sake of someone else, we find it's, it's, it's highly resistant in all of our parts. And I think, you know, not, not just lay people, but clergy. You, law, I don't know that anybody that's, except Jesus, our Savior, 
doesn't have a daily challenge to deal with this sort of base assumption, well, I can do what I want to do. Well, and, and let, let's talk a little bit about this, this like this uh, base assumption, this inflamed entitlement, as you were uh, mentioning it here. In the first few verses, you know, so he, he starts off, you know, concerning food offered to idols. Um, and it, it seems that he, it, well, I mean, this is how the ESV presents it, that he's taking another quote here, perhaps. Uh, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Um, they're taking that as a, a quote, perhaps, from, from their letter. And, and then what he immediately does is he says, uh, this knowledge uh, that you're talking about puffs up. And he contrasts that with love that builds up. So uh, the, the metaphor that Paul's going with is this puffing up. And we, and we talked about this a little bit uh, in, in the previous chapter because they also talk about being puffed up. But this idea of, uh, I mean, I don't know, like you, you kind of imagine someone just kind of like, you know, like standing up really, you know, exaggerated, like big and tall with their chest way out. And it's just sort of like, mm-hmm. yeah, look at, look at me. Like, I know what's going on. Like, I'm in the know and I've got this figured mm-hmm. out. Kind of full of, um, oh, let's say full of hot air. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that's kind of the idea. You fill something with hot air, and it expands. It puffs up. And I, it's it's really dangerous thing here, too. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, oh, i got the answers. You talk to me. I'll get you, give you all the answers. Uh, well, you know, a little humility here is really a good thing. It's uh, possible we're wrong, possible we misunderstand or understand only partly. So that's, uh, we need to be able to do as Paul suggests and consider building up. And it's not just about me showing off or me dominating or me having control or me getting everybody to say, ooh, ah, we're not worthy to be around you. Yeah, well, and and what's interesting to me about these two verbs, too, is they they both— at least, in the, I mean, they don't actually really have this in the Greek, but, I mean, they have this in the English translation. They both have the up part, right? But, like, so the direction's the same, but what, what I think the big difference seems to be is that, is what it, what are you operating on? Because when you're puffed up, right, it's you as an individual, right, puffed up looking mm-hmm. bigger than the little individuals around you, right, which are more like ants, clods, right? They don't the get it. They people, don't know. Yeah. The little people, Yeah. But but when, when you're talking about building up, see, now that Paul's already talked about this. He's talked about that the whole body of Christ is a temple, a field, uh, you know, so he has all these images of, of what we are as a community, as a, as a whole. And so that building up idea is, is one operating on the whole group and not just to the benefit of you yourself as an individual. Yeah, that's so contrary to uh, what we are sinners, you know. People talk about original sin does it exist. It's, nothing's more obvious. It's like, how did the world come into being? Well, creator, uh, only, only the strangest person detached from any reality would think it's like, oh, by chance, or, or this just developed on its own. Um, you realize that has no ground in reality. So, but, you know, you get rid of God, so there's a benefit to that. Well, the same thing here with this original sin thing. Well, we, we just all of us are centered in ourselves, and... And it's it's such a training exercise, it's such a long haul to begin to think of someone else first. And, you know, the way that I've experienced it, too, so often is in talking to people as they're getting married and maybe as they're encountering challenges in marriage. 
and you realize that a lot of the problem just comes from, oh, I've got to have my own way all the time. Yeah. No, maybe maybe not. Maybe you don't have to have it. Have you ever thought about what's more important, um, having your own way or allowing the other person to grow and to develop? And this is where the building up thing comes in. As if yeah. I'm just trying to hog anything and everything, nobody's going to benefit from that. I won't really even benefit from that. Well, and, and I think that you're right that it really gets back to like the fundamental of what is uh, original sin. And I, I think this is in any way is kind of just one of the, the plainest ways of wrapping our arms around the idea. But we got to take our break already here. But well, I'm going I'm to come back to this thought when we get back, everybody. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 8 here on Nice Strong Word. We'll be right back. When you sing simply because your heart is full, you welcome anyone to join you. Sing for Joy often plays music made by professionals, but it gladly welcomes all the world in every corner to sing along. Don't miss it. Sundays at noon on KFUO. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall thy word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're joined by our guest. We've got Pastor Lane Berglund, pastor at Faith Lutheran Church in Cherubusco, Indiana. If you'd like to join the conversation, if you have a question for us here and you're listening live, you can give us a call, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or jump on the live stream, facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. I want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for supporting Thy Strong Word. Their website, lhfmissions.org. So just before the break, we were talking about this idea, um, really how Paul is, is getting very fundamental here. Uh, I mean, he's not he's not putting it here yet. I mean, he actually it was earlier, I think in chapter like three, was it, where he was talking about you know uh, 
the flesh versus the spirit. So he was getting into that that distinction. And you know, so what what are we talking about when we're talking about the flesh? Well, we're talking about that. Uh, I mean, another word for that is is nature. Um, and and it's just like you were saying, brother, before the break that. When you, when you talk about sinful nature, I mean, it really is quite natural. I mean, it, it's that kind of basic animal instinct um, preservation of self, you know, it, self. It, yeah, it's that selfishness, that self—yeah, the default—it's the default setting, like, for kind of for every living thing in some ways. And, and, the, and the problem is that when it comes to human beings, that default setting, like, well, uh, it's not, it's not an entirely uh, wrong um, instinct at times— but when that thing runs the show, uh, humanity gets pretty ugly. It's true. And, you know, you could talk about balance you know, from a couple of different perspectives, certainly from the Christian perspective, the balance is trying to keep both our, our uh, salvation in perspective as a gift of grace and our lives in perspective as a gift of service where we are able to yield ourselves as living sacrifices, as Paul says in Romans 12, every single day. And that's, that's kind of the uh, reason, for example, why some sort of time with God in the mornings with Scripture and prayer um, is so important to us to help get us set on a path that is very uh, contrary to our nature. Because if we can, and the way I I think about it is getting my head plugged in to God and to His Word, so that I have some better chance at actually behaving as I should, as a husband and as a father, and and all the other points of contact that I have in my life. And the the challenge is throughout the day. I know I'm not going to do the job perfectly. I'm just going to I'm going to, but that's you know that's part of who we are. We just we understand that. Perfection is not going to happen on this side of the grave. The, the resurrection, yeah, much better. However, on this side, a lot of frustrations, but it's a challenge. And the best way to get started in that, like any other endeavor, is to get your head on straight first thing in the morning and then, you know, to try to refresh your connection to the Word of God uh, throughout the day. And that's one of the benefits of prayer. You know, you can offer any time and... Then scripture, if you have some memorized, it's not a bad idea to recite it on occasion. Um, even in the shower in the morning, uh, there's there's probably a hymn or two that you know fairly well. Might be able to sing a verse, even "Joy to the World." One of my favorite my, my favorite shower hymns is "Joy to the World." <laughs> so I mean, it's just uh, kind of one of those things where you try to get focused on the Lord because you know that ahead of you is the kinds of things these people are running into. Yeah, they have this knowledge, and they're very proud of this knowledge. And they have this, 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 it's kind of true to all human beings, but especially in the first two centuries, they had these mystery cults. And this mystery cult is kind of like a lodge because you get initiated and you get taught secrets. Now you have the secret knowledge. And Paul even uses some language like that in Philippians 4 when he talks about learning the secrets to um, enduring all things, and that's the secret of Christ. But uh, the, the idea being is that uh, if you have this knowledge, if you really do, you have to balance it with uh, humility and service. And like Paul says, he's, he's got these great revelations, and in order to keep the balance, God sent him a thorn in the flesh, a, a physical ailment of some sort 
just to keep the balance, because otherwise we go off the deep end, we get really weird, and now we're not useful to God, we're a danger to ourselves and others. So throughout this, yeah, we got this knowledge puffed up. Sometimes God needs to take a thorn and stick it in us, let some of that air out. So, my, yeah. you know, it's not really directly related to the text, but if once in a while we wake up and say, why am I having such a hard time? Um, well, maybe I just need to be deflated a little bit. So I don't blow up like any tire. You overinflate the tire and it's going to blow. Yeah, get it down to the recommended balance and you'll be fine. Yeah, no, that's uh, it's it's a really neat analogy. I mean, thinking of like the the puffed up uh, idea, right? That he himself uses. I, I think that you know this this whole. Uh, I liked what you're saying about the getting your head on straight. Like, I think that that kind of gets at what what he's talking about here. If anyone imagines that he knows something, right? He doesn't yet know as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. It's because it's interesting because he shifts the person, right? He's like, okay, what what it doesn't matter that that you know. What matters is that you are known. And um it, it's interesting that the verb that, that he uses itself, you know, it's it's this verb that it, it's uh it includes the idea of like uh, kind of like having knowledge that you might learn um, academically intellectually but but it also includes um, and in some ways is maybe even more uh, directly related to the kind of knowledge that is uh, familiarity um, or acquaintance relational. Or, yeah, yeah relational right and uh, like well, going back to Spanish, right? Like the difference between saber y conocer, right? Like kind of like the relational, like I like I know this person, right? Like I know this place. Um, and, and so if that's the idea, it, just thinking about that, like it's not about us like, well, I've mastered this idea, right? You know, like I passed, I, I did the catechism, I, I get all that, and now I can move on to the more advanced stuff, right? Like check that off. I, I move on to the next uh, level. I'm not the 100 level classes of theology anymore. It's not that. What what matters is does does God have this relationship with with you? Put put it on put it on Him instead of yourself. What you were saying again, we we make ourselves the center of everything, and so we wake up and it's like, okay, how is my virtue and how is my knowledge and how is my piety and how is my purity? And it's like if you're asking all of that starting with my every time, we're just totally backwards still. It's it's what is it God is, uh, doing? Uh, as you point out, just it's it seems to come so easily to us. Yeah. Um one of the challenges in teamwork is that you kind of work together as a team. I and yeah. you know, we talk about a vertical and horizontal compartment uh, component to faith. The vertical is the relationship with the Lord and the horizontal is with each other and they're not disconnected to Know Jesus Christ means the Father has brought us to him, and that's in John 6, the end of the chapter. Nobody comes to Jesus except the Father draws you. And to know the Father means that you know him through Jesus Christ, because there's no other way to the Father except through Jesus. And all of this happens because the Holy Spirit gives us a new birth from above. And, of course, we have just as much input in that as we did our initial conception and birth, which is none. comes to us as a gift of grace. The relationship with the Lord God has got to be the, the basis then, the ground on which anything else grows. Yeah. And so, you know, if we're doing something apart from him, if we're doing something that's disconnected from him, then we need to recalibrate and get back and, and ground it in our relationship with him, to be known by him, 
is then to know that other people matter and to set their welfare on a level at least as as high as our own, which good luck with that. that yeah, yeah, I know. That's yeah. the challenge. Just just that. That's all we have to do. It's it's completely defy every fiber of our natural being. Um yeah, yeah, and and I think then that this gets to a question that we got over email here. So uh, the question is, are these knowledgeable Corinthians, you know, who call who are called puffed up by Paul here, um, are are they are they sinning because it um, what they're doing is actually bad uh, because it, it's a transgression to eat this sacrificial meat and maybe we should talk about okay what is the what exactly are we talking about by this meat offered to idols so is is it that like that what they're doing is uh, wrong um, or is it just that uh, these uh, other kind of baby Christians or toddler Christians as you were saying are getting the wrong idea. And so it, that's the thing that 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 is sinful. And, and I think what we're what we kind of just said is like, well, I, I think underlying it, kind of re- regardless of kind of where you draw the line and say, well, that was the sin or that was the sin, the whole orientation is still sinful because it's all about themselves and their freedom and what they can do. And so uh, I think on a certain level, like if uh, if uh, if this is like a fair way of kind of summarizing what you were saying. Uh, the, the the whole kind of baseline assumption and and attitude behind it was sinful, re- regardless of whether you say it was there or there. But m- maybe you could speak to this a little bit more precisely. What well, exactly is this yeah. action? Yeah, it is an excellent question, and there's some discussion about meat offered to idols. Uh, it really is. Does that mean you're going into an idol temple and right. partaking in a meal with the yeah. idol up there? And uh, that would be so egregious that would be in and of itself a sin. Why? Because you're messing with the first commandment. No other gods. You're sitting in an idol temple eating meal that's been in some way dedicated to that deity, false deity. Now, knowledge, you may say, well, there's no no such deity. No. Later on, chapter 10, you're going to learn about demons. Yeah, there's, there's a power behind these false gods. They're the demons. So let's just not have any fellowship with the demons. You want to eat with the demons? Eat with the demons. You want to eat the Lord's Supper with the Lord? Eat with the Lord. You can't do both. Pick one. Right. So that's that's going to be kind of later on. But the uh, so there's there's a way in which eating the meat off of idols, if it's in the temple like that, yeah, that's just straight up wrong. Then you have this meat that's been maybe portion of it offered as a thank offering to whatever uh, butcher god or whatever god is hanging around. But the rest of it sold openly in the marketplace, and no, you're fine with that unless somebody has a problem with this. Well, you know, that had been offered to this god. It was, well, I would think it's okay, but I don't want to bother you. I don't want to trouble your conscience. I don't want to lead you to do something that's only against your own conscience because this is something that, you know, I think Luther used to say it's not good, right, and proper to sin against your own conscience. If you think something is wrong, you want to get your head straight and clear on it before you do the thing so you don't make yourself stumble. And that's kind of one of the things you're looking at here. We're not trying to be hypocrites, which it looks like we would open ourselves to the charge, like, right. well, I would eat this meat, except you just pointed out it's, it's been offered to us, and no, I won't. So that's not yeah, good. right. Just look, for your sake, for the time it takes for you to grow up out of this, I won't eat this. But please understand we want you to grow to the point that you understand there's nothing wrong with this, but 
in the context of me just doing things without any concern for you, as you pointed out, very sinful self-centeredness, not only do I then sin against the person, but as Paul will point out at the end, I'll sin against Christ, because I'm hurting his people. And he takes personally yeah. what we do to his people. Well, no, exactly right, and, that, and that's where where he ends up going there, and it's very, it's very interesting to me, like the the way that he does it, because I mean he's already said like we're the body of Christ, right? So, you know, he could have just said, hey, if you sin against your brother, you're sinning against the body of Christ, right? But he goes further, and in verse twelve, you know, he said, I mean, this is really something in verse eleven and twelve, the brother for whom Christ died, he puts it that way, and then says. Yeah, so when you sin against them, you're sin- sinning against Christ. I mean, that's a uh, that that's really that, that struck me as really interesting because like it, it's like it almost seemed unnecessary. Like, well, why, why'd you why'd you have to invoke his his death? But like, I, I think it gets back to what he said earlier. Um, in it was like either chapter six or seven where he said, you know, you're not your own; you were bought with a price. Well, that's the price. It, it's his holy, innocent suffering and death in his precious blood that's the price yeah. and and so you know th- that's that's what it cost to buy this brother to redeem this brother from sin death and the devil and now you're going to send him back to sin death and the devil i, I mean like i mean that is I, I i i don't know if he's necessarily connecting it to judas but i mean there is this idea of like betraying the blood um, that has been poured out. I mean, and that should really, I mean, give us all great pause uh, that if, if Christ went to such a, uh, lengths to save somebody, how dare we do anything that would endanger their souls after what Christ has done for them? We are valuable, each one of us, for no other reason than God loves us. It's a, we don't have any intrinsic value in us. It, we are valuable because God is sentimental about us. He loves us so much to send his son. It's his love that makes us valuable for no other reason. Not in, not by ourselves. It's an imputed value, but it's also imputed unto others. There's this marvelous parable Jesus tells in Matthew 25, 31 to 46, separating sheep and goats. That's really easy to miss the point if you don't have access to uh, the original because the original has a cool emphasis. He talks to the goats. You know, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was so forth. And they don't remember that. But what's evident in the original, when you did we see hungry and not feed you, when you did we see thirsty, they know they didn't feed other people and give other people water and so forth. That's not the question. When did we not do this to you, Lord Jesus? And the same thing of the sheep. When you did we see hungry and feed you, they knew they fed other people. It's not like, oh, I didn't know I did any good deeds. No, that's, that's totally misses the point. But I don't remember not doing this, said the goats, or doing this, said the sheep, to you. When did we do this to you? And Jesus says, whatever you did to the least of these, my brothers, fellow Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, not right. talking about general population here, right, that right. will come into the picture you did to me. Because when we're baptized into Christ... We're part of the body of Christ. So if you hit my finger with a hammer as part of my body, you right. hit me with a hammer. I take it right. very personally, what you do to my poor finger. So also does Jesus. And you see the neat connection here. So we're part of a body. We're in this together. And I know that's been really overdone the last few months. We're in this together. 
You know, I don't know that anybody's catching on too good out there about this together thing. No, we Christians neither. But we really are in this together with our Lord Jesus, and other people matter to him, even even the folks that are really irritating. Can you imagine the Lord loves irritating people? Well, he loves me, therefore yeah. that's proof that he does love irritating people. But, you know... Um, so <laughs> yes. let's toss them a bone here, you know. Yeah. Let's remember yeah, that, that the blood of Christ covers them. And let's treat them accordingly. Yeah, no, I, I like the way you're putting it, you know, because it's like I, I feel like if if everyone's just honest, we can all think of like at least one person who shows up at church on occasion who gets under our skin, right? And and, and we're just and we're just tempted so profoundly, right, to just to just be like, you know what? We're gonna do it this way. It doesn't doesn't matter what that person says. That person is crazy, you know. Like that person, they're out to lunch. They they, they don't get it. Okay, they're raising a stink about this. They're like, oh, we can't do that. No, we're gonna do it this way, whether they like it or not. And and, and we're and we're well, so quick to go there. But I mean, it's just I mean, this is this is the opposite. This is saying like, yeah, you know what? It doesn't matter if they're your favorite person or if you think they're an awesome, you know. Uh, premium deluxe christian right they're they're bought with the blood of christ and you don't offend them you don't smash the lord jesus's finger right even if you think it doesn't look pretty uh, i mean and boy, and, and really, sometimes you know <laughs> yeah 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 i know yeah, this one thing about being a parent uh, a husband a parent or a pastor is that you 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 need to at some point embrace bad behaviors <laughs> that is to say not countenance them but if somebody's kind of a challenge, you need to still love them and pray for them. And, uh, you know, it's, just, it's funny. I look back. I, I did actually um, hang it up. I retired effective June 1. So I'm currently unemployed and probably will be until the expiration of my life. But uh, it's just funny. You take a look back on all the decades. I think of 41 years plus a little bit of service to the Lord uh, in uh, context of being an ordained pastor. And I look at all the people, and I think, what a broad spectrum. Some of which, you know, I think of as being so high above me as far as their faith and their walk with the Lord and their their class. And and some of them are way down here with me, and we're just a problem together. But (laughs) to love, to care for, and to learn to pray for, especially the people that seem to be the biggest problem, to learn to spend extra time in prayer for God to bless, keep, guide, guard, and grow them, and hope that they'll do the same for you. Yeah, and I think that got back to a point that I I, um, I, I made note of that. You know, I think that's really interesting that you know when Paul is saying you know that there are these, these these weak or he sometimes says you know immature Christians, you know the the, the thought isn't that well that that's just how they are and like you know that's just like for the whole rest of their lives they're going to be this way, but that you would um, while they're in this state. Because he mentions that, like, like through former associations with idols, right? I think um, that's where that's where he says that there earlier. Um, if I can find the verse there, but it's like th- this idea being like, hey, d- don't you remember that? Like, it was just a, you know, like a, like a few months ago, right? Like there is in verse seven, right? That they used to like bow down and worship to idols, <laughs> you know, and so it's like. That's kind of fresh in their memory, right? It's going to take them some oh, yeah. time to get over that. And, and just th- that idea of kind of having this, like, sensitivity and, and saying, you know, yeah, like, th- that's right. You, you you did have that experience. And you know what? I'm going to hold back and not do everything that I maybe could do by rights 
um, because of what's been going on. I, I mean, that that's just that that that's another level of intimacy. And, and I like the way you broke it down. That you know, there are two things that Paul's talking about here. That and this becomes clear in chapter ten. Then we're going to get there uh, next week. But that you know, there is like you just go into the idol temple, right? And you just you you bow down before the idol and the whole shebang, right? And, and Paul's like. Okay, no, that's demon worship. That would be very bad. Doesn't yeah, it doesn't even matter. Bad, bad mark on you. Yeah, that's right. That's don't do that. Don't do that. That's this problem. Um, so like so that's just category. Some God said something about that in the Ten Commandments, I think. Right. So 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 you know, don't yeah, do that. Right. <laughs> don't do that at all. <laughs> but but like you were saying, the situation seems to be that. There was this like they they would go and they would offer all the meat or something like that in the in the temple and then they would you know take all that meat and they'd put it out in the meat market so that you know you basically couldn't buy meat unless it had some kind of you know you, you think about it right like uh when, when you go into the store and you like you buy something off the shelf all of it has like you know like the the, the parva or like the halal or the like or um or, or halal yeah. um. It, like all of it's got like some kind of like marks and stuff like that. And it's got like, Oh, USDA and like whatever. And so it's like, you know, kind of basically going to the store in Corinth and all of it has like, you know, got the little like Zeus thunderbolt on it. Right. And it's like, <laughs> I can't buy meat unless it's got that. And so Paul is saying like, well, look, see, like if that's the situation, right. Like just, you know, go ahead and buy meat. Okay. But, but but if someone's gonna make an issue out of it and say, hey, if you eat this meat, that means that you worship Zeus, th- then just then just go vegetarian that week. Like yeah, it, it, you know, know, so there's two different things that we're talking about. It does just be willing to give them some time. Yeah, and don't push them. And this is something yeah. that anybody coming out of a difficult experience, whether it's um, you know say somebody suffering from post traumatic stress disorder somebody coming out of a, a terrible abusive marriage or a family where abuse, you know, whatever the situation is they're coming out of, give them some time to heal. Spend some time helping them grow. Uh, pray for them, but don't try to make them do exactly what you know you can do already. I, I think sometimes of athletics, let's say you, you, you can pole vault 16 feet, and you get this person that's just, you know, not athletic, and they haven't been training very long, and you don't necessarily want to give them a 16-foot pole and say, go go jump over that. <laughs> they'll probably never get there, but it might. Yeah. However, it's going to take a while. Just, or, you know, give a lot of people to take their time and grow. Well, or, 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 or conversely, perhaps, right, maybe, it, you know, they're, they're starting out. Maybe you don't actually show show off your 16 foot jump in front of them on day one uh, yeah, unless they be unless they be tempted to say oh, i could do that right and they break their back in the process i mean this is uh this is actually something that we've been going over with our between our two daughters you know we've got one who's four and one who's not quite two yet and so i've i've had to tell my four-year-old at times this is you know this is advanced concept ellie you can't do that in front of your sister because she's gonna try to do it and if she tries to do it, she's going to get hurt, you know? Yeah. And, and so, and so I've actually told her like, so if, if she's like, you know, like taking her nap or doing something else, then fine. But if she's here, you got to take care of her, you know? And that, and that, that's, yeah, that's, that's a tricky concept, but there is this, like you were saying, it, it's not hypocritical. That's a good illustration though, it's, really. It's, it, it's not know, hypocritical. About... It's you're doing it for someone's sake. Yeah. And same way, you know, and, uh, it's kind of a distant relation, but. Uh, you know, I say that you've uh, 
I was in the hospital uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, two of the nurses were talking. One was a trainer, and the other was a trainee. And the trainer was hoping to get her master's degree, and I was, uh, she was talking about, you know, the work and the defense and everything else uh, on it. And it was um, a real hard thing. You know, I've, I've, I've had a couple of masters and uh, doctorate, and I've, I've gone and done defenses. And so it was really tough not to say, oh, yeah, I did that a couple of times, a couple of three times. It's about <laughs> level above you to get, no, don't do that. Don't throw water on their little fire of enthusiasm. You're going to kill them. They're never going to talk to you again. Terrible witness. Be quiet. So, yeah, I can relate to that. I think I've, I've kind of been there and done that myself, and it's really brutal. You know, but let's, let's just not go further than that. Uh, and so it's just consideration for the other person where they are at. Yeah. And I still got a lot of room for improvement there myself. Yeah. Right. Well, no, it's it's a constant it's a constant thing, right? Because it's we 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 put out this false dichotomy, like, well, I'm either going to be like honest and authentic and real, right, or I'm a phony and I'm a liar, right? And that's kind of like the cultural. Um, division, right? Yeah. And it's sort of like, you know, as, well, I'm just going to be all out there, no apologies, you know, warts and all, this is the whole thing, why should I be ashamed, right? And versus, um, you know, like, oh, you're, you're, you're hiding this, you're covering up, you're not being authentic. And it's like, well, no, like, the, the Christian walk is, is going in, in between those extremes and says, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest and I'm going to be open. Um, I'm not going to lie. But on the other hand, I will actually, for the sake of other people, not parade stuff that's going to hurt them. You know, and, and we find ourselves, like you were saying, in lots of situations like that. So uh, we got some questions about, like, you know, authority. And I think it's a lot less about authority and more just getting back to love, getting back to the essentials. So uh, thank the you, brother. The person matters. Thank you very yeah, much. The other person matters. To those who listen, God bless. Thank you, brother. Everybody, that was Pastor Lane Berglund from Cherubusco, Indiana. Next time, we're actually going to take a look at a psalm. It's got a cool connection here to 1 Corinthians. Hope you can join us on Monday for that. Everybody, till then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.